Our Gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, starting in the first verse. As you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. When you think about temptation... What appetite comes to mind? Something you're hungry for? Food, maybe? Maybe it's prestige, or sex, or money, or power. Well, I've got good news for you, for those for whom food is the uh, bait for your hook. A surefire diet, the silver bullet. It's called the diet for losers. I present to you this incredible new loser's diet. All you need to do is follow these three easy steps. Breakfast in the morning with a half a grapefruit and some whole wheat toast. Lunch with some lean broiled protein. One cup of steamed zucchini, and of course, just one Oreo cookie. Mid-afternoon snack, thought of that as well. That's when you finish the rest of the package of the Oreo cookies. (laughs) Of course, you got to wash it down with some, you know, maybe Rocky Road ice cream or something. Dinner, you know, French loaves always come in packs of two, two for one. So you've got to have two loaves of garlic bread, a large pepperoni pizza. Don't worry if you're vegetarian, mushrooms, fine. This is important, large diet soda. And you can even have a Snickers bar as long as there are many, you know. A couple of notes about this diet, some diet tips. Uh, 
any desserts you eat that are still frozen, if you didn't wait for them to unfreeze, those calories don't really count. Uh, If no one sees you eating, it probably doesn't have any calories. Well, for that matter, if you are eating with someone, those calories don't count either because that's just fellowship. And, you know, if, if you can uh, have some, you know, food for medical purposes, here I'm talking about chocolate, uh, uh, those calories don't count. And if someone else, if you can convince them to eat worse than you, it'll make yourself feel better, then that, you know, that's pretty good too. And finally, the one important diet tip, I'm sure we all agree, you know, movie-related foods don't count because they're simply part of the whole entertainment experience, right? And if you follow that diet, you will indeed be a loser, right? You know, we, we do that, don't we, though? We try to fool ourselves. We try to fool ourselves in so many ways and in so many appetites and in so many arenas. Sometimes we even try and fool ourselves when it comes to this passage about Jesus and his temptation by the devil in the wilderness, the desert. And the first thing that I often hear, I've even felt, I'm sure we've all had this thought come across our mind once or twice. Well, come on now. He's God. He's God incarnate. Of course He's going to be able to overcome these temptations. Of course He'll be able to handle the hardship that He faces. After all, He's God incarnate. But consider this. Who would you rather follow? The one who could carry the load or the one who couldn't? UK pastor Dick Lucas uh, used this imagery. He said, uh, think about a tug of war. The team that wins, aren't they the ones that have faced the most resistance, the longest? Or he goes on to say, Using the image of a weightlifter, is it the weightlifter who is only able to get that weight a small portion off the ground, or is it the one who's able to jerk it above their heads that feels the full weight of that heavy load? Friends, let's stop fooling ourselves. Life is hard and the world is complicated. And it's easy to ask, and who is with us in the wilderness? Who is with us in the desert? Are we alone? Well, we know the devil's there. We know that evil is lurking and accusing. But what I want to remind you this day and in the next several weeks as we consider this question of of and boldly proclaiming that, in fact, that we are not alone in the desert, that we have one who is able to carry, to hold up the weight, the weight in which we feel so many times. That weight 
Jesus is able to carry. He is with us. As another pastor put it, life is a fight. Life is a fight. We see it all around us. You just need to turn on the news to find out about coronavirus or the dictators in, uh, inflicting havoc or racism or poverty, much less just getting up in the morning and making it through that day's schedule. That's hard enough. Working through issues with your family or your marriage or trying to stay healthier. Maybe you're battling depression. How about just living up to your own values, let alone God's? Life is a fight, and it is hard. But we here proclaim today, we see in God's word that we are not alone in the desert The Spirit who led Jesus is with us for all those baptized into Christ. He gives us the Word, the sword of the Spirit. He gives us the shield of faith. We are not alone. And so, as you'll hear this week and in the next subsequent weeks, you'll hear the words of Romans 8 echoed again and again with this promise that the Spirit indeed does intercede for us. That we have a God who sympathizes, who understands the weight that we feel and that we face and the tension that we battle. And so this week we'll consider what it is to be in the desert, not alone, but facing temptation with God's Word. And next, in the weeks that follow, we'll consider what it means to face hardship with grace, to face brokenness with reconciliation, and even the very last Sunday of March, facing loss with hope. These 40 days of Lent remind us of the long march that we face every day. I'll try to pull no punches and deal with real life, with real faith in this real fight that we face. Remembering all along that no Christian is alone in this desert. And so as we examine the task before us today, as we face temptation in the desert, I suggest that there are three sides of this same coin. You heard me right, three sides. Look carefully, there are three sides. When you... Think of temptation and these three that we see Jesus face. These three sides come before us. We'll examine all three of those layers, but first, a common denominator. The common denominator among each of these temptations and among the temptations that we face as well is this, that all of them are the devil's attempt, a spiritual reality of the devil attempting to thwart Jesus from his mission to save us, save us from our sin and to restore us to his heavenly father. Often, all of the temptation that we face fall under that same category to thwart us from receiving this 
gift of grace that God has laid out before us. It is indeed a spiritual battle to understand the real physical fight that we face. We have to also understand it spiritually. You might remember when I noted from history a few months ago in October when we were talking about what it is that Christians believe and I talked about how it was so hard for FDR to understand how the Germans how the Germans could could do what they do in this educated world that they lived in how could they purport and do such evil that is until he read Kierkegaard and renewed his understanding of the Christian teaching from the word of God of original sin. He realized that the reality of the world stems from a spiritual reality that needs to be dealt with. One that the devil did not want Jesus to do. And so we go to the first temptation. These temptations, you'll note, are in the same order. Matthew has them organized in the same order that Israel faced in their wilderness for 40 years. The first is hunger. God's people in the wilderness were hungry. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. But instead of, as we'll hear echoed in the book of Philippians, instead of grasping his power, which was his right, he did not turn stones into bread because he would not thwart God's mission. It would have been the first time that Jesus would have used his godly power for his own good and he doesn't do it. Hungry or full, plenty or want, he remains faithful. He shows us a pattern and that pattern is to go then not only in his faithfulness, this is the first side of the coin, but then to go to God's word as we hear in Deuteronomy that there are things greater than the hungers of this world. And then that second side of the coin, we quickly face, we realize this pattern. We so often fail, don't we? We... Well, maybe you're thinking, wait, I've never turned a stone into bread. (laughs) Oh, but we do in so many different ways, don't we? Whether it's with how we might misuse our finances with the credit card or how we just say, well, I'm just, I was just, just going along with the speed of traffic officer, right? We have all kinds of ways and excuses that we can satisfy our own hunger. We say, well, well, I deserved it. You know, in the solitude as Jesus was, he faced this temptation, but he faced it with God's word. And whereas the people of Israel were not faithful in this test, Jesus was. Where we are often not faithful in this test, Jesus is. Martin Luther talked about being in the solitude of the castle when he was translating the Bible into German and he would take his ink pot and yell at the devil and throw it at the wall. I'm not asking you to do that or throw your computer at the wall. 
But it is a fight. And following Jesus' pattern, we should saturate ourselves in the scriptures to be able to respond. We'll get to that third side of the coin in just a minute. The next temptation was a test of God Himself. God's people did this in the wilderness too when they were thirsty. In the desert, instead of trusting that God has He had provided for them, they grumbled. You think, oh, I never test God. Well, think about the last time you made a deal with God. Oh, you know, God, if, if you just do this, I promise I'll be at worship every Sunday this year. Or if, if you just help my kids with this, then I'll definitely not forget to fill in the blank, right? And the truth is, this just becomes works righteousness. Somehow we think we deserve it. The reality is, life isn't like that. Right? It's raise your kids right and they'll never make an error, right? Or manage your money right and you'll never have any financial troubles, right? Wash your hands and you'll never get sick. Life isn't like that. In fact, Jesus, who lived the perfect life, His life wasn't easy either. Things didn't go so perfectly for him. And we shouldn't expect it for us either. What we should expect in these challenging moments in life where we are thirsty as Israelites were is that God will be with us and he will be faithful. It's not an if-then equation. It's a so what. Because God has done this, we now can live He didn't exploit his relationship with God for his own advantage. We should not do that with others. We should not do that with God. Of course, we do so often, don't we? We fail to follow Jesus' pattern to remember his word and not, and we even manipulate scripture as the devil tried to do, and Jesus would not allow it. The truth of God's word would come forth. The third temptation reminds us of idolatry. We think here again, oh, this isn't a problem for us. We're not going around worshiping idols. Uh, Right up until we do. (laughs) I was listening to a podcast this week of a recently retired MLB pitcher, and he was talking about those no-good, malicious Astro players who damaged the integrity of the great game of baseball. Now I was listening, and then the interviewer asked him, well, what do you think of the person, the pitcher who, uh, you know, let the cat out of the bag and let us know all about this Uh, inappropriate cheating by the Astros. He said, oh, that snitch? I would never snitch like him. You see, the the integrity of the game was now superseded by the uh, sanctity of the clubhouse. There was something that superseded his love of baseball. 
powerfully in the interview, he wasn't even quite sure he would admit uh, to reporting crimes even with the sanctity of baseball. It's a clubhouse. There are things that at any time we put anything above God, above God's word, above Him in our time, in our possessions, in our worldview, then huh, we have fallen into idolatry. And here Jesus reminds us to come to that first commandment. One God do we serve. So the two sides of that coin are this. Jesus gives us a pattern and He fulfills it. The second reality is this. We often don't. So what now? Now what? What's the third side of the coin? What is this? The same Holy Spirit with Christ is with us. We have a high priest who sympathizes. He's borne the weight, the weight that we feel in temptation. And he is compassionate. With so many competing voices today, it's simultaneously never been easier to be saturated in the Word and listen to God's Word all the time from whether it's on paper or on your phone or on your computer screen, but also to be distracted by so many other voices. And so Jesus' example is an important one to be saturated, to be covered in God's Word. But if He is just an example, I like how one pastor put it, then we're cooked. Because that second side of the coin reminds us that we don't do what He has done. Jesus is more than an example. He's a substitute. The gospel, as one commentary assembled it, is this. Jesus was hungry, but He fed others. Jesus grows weary, but he offers rest to others. He's the King Messiah, but he pays tribute to the Father. He is called the devil, but casts out demons. He dies the death of a sinner, but comes to save, comes to save his people from their sins. He's sold for 30 pieces of silver, but gives his life as a ransom for many. He will not turn stones to bread for himself, but gives, as we will celebrate today, his own body as the bread of life for his people. Jesus just isn't our example. He's our substitute who is with us in the desert. He is the word made flesh with you in the desert. Jesus dealt with the reality of our brokenness and the reality of this world so that we can be free to live. Jesus deals with our sin with grace. And because he can bear the weight of what we face in this world, and knowing he bears the weight and is our spotter, then we're free to strive to follow his pattern. Don't believe the loser's diet. That just because you can't, you shouldn't try. Or just because there's a pattern that you can, we need the substitute Jesus to give us life and to free us to truly live. Just because I might get sick sometime later this week won't prevent me from washing my hands before communion. We still try, but the weight of my sin is carried by Christ 
my Lord and your Lord. He can bear the load. And because He has borne this load, we can now, even in the reality of the fight in the desert, we can truly live. And so we are not alone. Because Christ lives, we are made live to live and to live freely with His grace. Amen.